God is on his throne. His promises are true. The devil is a liar. And my faith is a victor. I hope that's something that you all said at least once this week. That's what we ended our series or our sermon with last week. As an encouragement to me this week, every, week, every time I said it, I felt it. God is on his throne. His promises are true. The devil is a liar. My faith is a victor. There are going to be times, no matter if it's parenting, no matter if it's marriage, no matter if it's a circumstantial, family, professional, interpersonal, things you speak to yourself, you are going to be tempted to believe that those statements are not true. And I think as we've learned already, believing and transforming and who God calls us to be and believing the truth that our faith is a victor, God is on his throne. His promises are true. And anything opposed to that is lying. That's the key to this whole series. Now, I'm going to do my best here. As you can tell, I've already struggled to plant this new tree. And I forgot to water it. But we're going to get through it. <laughs> Parenting's not always about perfection. Just keep that in mind. I'm just going to keep preaching. Our TV has been, found a new permanent spot over there. It's in time out. It's not been fixed yet. I'm just going to leave it over there. This is week two of our series on impressions. Um, we're talking about deep relationships, deep impact. Uh, the, ser- the title for today's is Watch Me. Um, there's one passage that we're using as kind of a template for why we're talking about impressions, why we're leading and kind of walking through this. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at this together. This is really important. If you hear nothing else, I say listen to the words as Israel's being pulled from slavery into being fully understood as the children of God, full of promise that they're going to change the world, that God is going to use them to fulfill his covenant of love. And that this is what is being told to them, spoken over them. As this transformation is taking place, the same thing that Paul would say in Romans, don't conform anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. This is the very same process that's going on with Israel. It says this, Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to beware your heart, and I told you that word in Hebrew is not, that's just not just like inside, it's like everything, your whole being. And so to make that clear, they, he's got these great examples. Impress them on your children, which means you can't impress something that you aren't. Last time I checked, you don't take something, press it into the dirt, and get a different shape than what that thing is, right? So you impress these things, impress them onto your kids. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gate. Applicable. Giving you application immediately. This is what it's supposed to look like. Anywhere, always, you are impressing something onto the people around you. Impress what you are, what is on your heart, what is you is what is being impressed when you walk, when you lie down, when you sit, when you get up. When people look at your homes, people watch you. So today we're going to continue the thought process of what that would mean, what, how we could do this better. And I got to clarify something real quick. We got to talk about something because I had a really cool way to think about interpreting the idea of impressing as we're learning and growing and understanding what this is looking like. And some of you picked up on this. 
All right? Now, I've told you this before. If you wait long enough, and not very long, I'm going to let you down. All right? We've got to talk about locusts. Locusts and locusts. No, no, no. Go to the other slide. It's locusts, locusts. No? We don't have it? No? Maybe? Two words. It's locusts versus locusts. You got it up there? Nope, we don't have it. Okay. Last week, I said locust was with a T. It ain't with a T, y'all. There's no T in it. It's locust. And y'all didn't catch it. Some of y'all tried to Google it, and you found a bug. All right? It's locust. My bad. All right? Let's just talk about locust. Locust is off of the Greek word loci, which is actually why it's called locust, because it means location. Okay? So the locust of, hey, there it is. See? But it didn't have the T on the first one because I got it right twice. Can't even get it wrong right. We're in trouble, y'all. Here's the cool thing about locusts, and this is why it's so cool. You're either externally focused or you're internally focused. And here's why this is important. Because if you're external, if your locus of control is external, that means that you believe that people outside of themselves, fate and external forces are controlling the outcome of their lives. Things happen to you. Things happen to you. But if you're internal, if you're internal, these are the people who believe that they are responsible and in control of their own success. You make things happen. Now, this doesn't mean you're God. It just means you have a choice. It just means that you have a choice. You have a choice when things happen to you. And the way I explained it last week is this. When my one kid punches another kid in my family, I tell them, your choice was not that they punched you. Your choice is your response. Your choice is your response. No one controls you. You're not like a puppet where like it's one string tied to his fist tied to yours, right? Ka-clam, ka-clam, ka-clam. I couldn't help it. Ka-clam. It's not how it works. You have a choice. Now what's cool is when that happens, we create drivers, not passengers. We create drivers, not passengers. And all of us want to be drivers in our own life. The last thing I want to be is someone that just gets out on the road, gets into the passenger seat, and just goes, Jesus, take the wheel, and just watch the car. Just drive, right? It sounds great, except for the part where Jesus is like up in heaven going, what are you doing? <laughs> take hold of the wheel. I gave you, you are a driver in your own life. And as parents, we want our kids to be drivers. Some of y'all, that scares you to death. I know. But we want our kids to be drivers of their own life. We don't want them to just be passengers. You don't want your kid at 40 in your basement going, Mom, I want some mac and cheese. Some of y'all were like, I was that 40-year-old. <laughs> you want drivers in your life. So today we're going to break this down, and we're basically saying, and last week I, I love the idea, and this is the thought, we're not making seeds, we're not helping make healthy seeds, we're making healthy trees, we're not making healthy children as parents, we're making healthy adults. 
We are not making children healthy. We're not making children as the priority. We are making adults. That's what we're doing. So just like a seed, we're tempted to just go, oh, I just need to make a healthy seed. No, no, no. The goal is to treat. That's the goal. So today we're going to talk about the little sapling. All right? Now don't be tempted here. I just pulled this out the ground, so that's why it's, it's struggling. Right? It's okay. Get back in there. Kids are real pliable at this age. <laughs> We're going to talk about birth to 12 years old today. And why I cut it off there is because the next year is a teenager, and that's a whole other animal. All right? We'll get you thinking about this age group. Now, if you don't have a kid in this age group in your house, you're going to be tempted to just tune out. Tune back in, because matter of fact, if you haven't seen it, there's like a couple of those types of kids hanging around in this church. You might see a couple before you get out the door, and you need the information I'm about to say so that you don't go off on a parent, or if you need to, or you need to learn for the first time what it's like to parent this age. What it's like to parent this age. Because this age is unique. It's difficult. It's challenging in its own way. And if you're going to impress things in a certain age, you need to know the challenges. Now, I told you last week, I am not a perfect parent. I'm not trying to tell you how to be a perfect parent. I'm trying to guide you. I'm trying to help you. So here's one of the first things you need to know about this age group. Oh, come on, Tree. Get better with me. Let's go. Hold it together. See? Good parenting. Oh. A toddler will fall 69 times an hour when learning how to walk. That is crazy. I think it might be an underestimate. I mean, I'm not kidding you. How many of y'all have watched a kid learn how to walk? Some of them, they just pop right up, right? They're like, woo! Others of them, they look like baby giraffes. You know what I'm talking about? They could go any way, the wind blows, and they're like, ooh! You know You know when you learn a new skill? It's going to take you a similar amount of times to learn it well. It's going to take you failing and falling and getting back up. The tenacity of that. How many adults in here wish you just reminded yourself that you needed this at one point in your life? You needed this. We all needed this at one point in our life. Whether you're on your faith journey or you were just physically learning to walk, we all needed this. We needed to fall a ton of times to learn how to walk. And this age group, it's incredibly important to recognize that. I'm at the stage with my kids. They're two, five, and eight. They don't know what animals are real and which ones are make-believe. It's fantastic. They see a hummingbird. It's the first time they've seen a hummingbird. They're like, Dad, what is that? They've never seen it before. They're thinking, that's a, that's a dragon? We're watching a movie last night with a dragon in it, and literally my five-year-old leading over, how awesome would it be if dragons are real? Are they real? Like, he's thinking, maybe I just haven't seen one yet, so they might be real. That curiosity, that thrill of life, the, the thought that there's something out there that exists that I, I'm not aware of yet, that I could grow an understanding of, that I could gain an insight of, that someone I trust and that loves me could reveal to me and show to me. 
It's a powerful age. Powerful age. Now here's the thought that I want you to kind of be thinking through with this age, and this is a, this is a really important thing. We're going to learn how to push the limits with limitless love. We're going to learn how to push the limits with limitless love. And I want to explain what that means. Uh, some of you in here grew up with just the family-style American dream. Dad and mom, mom and dad together the whole time. You experienced that. It was healthy. Marriage was good. And under the right circumstances, a dad is supposed to be the one that pushes the limits. I mean, have you ever seen a dad do one of these suckers with like a two-year-old? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was fun, huh? All right, can you go now? No, it's cool. We were just uh, playing, watching the game, and right? And every mom in the room, what do they do? Right? Oh, yeah, it was fun. I was laughing. Right? Wrestling. What do dads do when they wrestle? Get their kids, they get them in a headlock, they about suffocate them underneath them, then they pull off real quick. Kid comes out like, I'm alive! Mom's over going, not too rough! Careful! Ah! Right? Then it transfers over to her, and she's like, nope, nope, this is that thing. This is that thing? Not me. Some of y'all grew up, that's not the way it was. It was opposite. Your mom pushed the limits, your dad had the love. All right? I'm not trying to put the role. I'm just telling you, that's what I experienced. I experienced that. My dad was the one that was like, hey, you see that two tons of rock over there? I bet you can't pick a shovel worth up with it. And it was a challenge, right? You're over there like, I bet I can. I did it, Dad! But then there was also Mom. You had this, this person in your life. No matter what happened, you drew the ugliest picture, looked nothing like the dog that you had. It was the wrong color. It, it, it was nowhere close to the lines. You brought that thing home. What did she say to you? Oh my gosh. This might be the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. She put it on the fridge. She told everybody about it. Look what he drew. Everybody guessed something different. <laughs> There's a balance in that, isn't there? I'm not saying dads can't show unconditional love because they should. But there's something about the need to grow at this age, isn't there? That if a kid just stayed in his little comfort zone, uh, just stayed in that little bubble that stayed safe and didn't do anything too difficult, didn't do anything scary, that they'd never fall down. And, and there's something about that when they fall down that, that someone would pick them up not judge them on their failure, but love them limitlessly. Something in that. This is a balance that no matter if you fit that mold that's traditional, that you have to learn to wade through. And just so you're clear, this isn't just with kids. This is discipleship. 
This is what it looks like to disciple someone. You push into them. Call them into someplace new. They get a little uncomfortable, and you're like, you're doing okay. It's okay. Here we go. <laughs> but then when they fall, things get hard. You're there. Pick them up. Three thoughts with this age group that I think are really important for us. If you're going to parent this age group well, and you're going to push the limits with limitless love, and you're going to recognize that you're not just growing seeds, you're growing trees, you need to recognize these three things are important for your kids to experience at this age. Definitely important. The first is this. Let your kids make mistakes. Let kids make mistakes. This is so important. Now, this at, at first seems really self-explanatory. But letting a kid make mistake is giving him the choice in a situation. This is the thought process that I love to watch my kids be told a boundary and then see if they follow it as a fly on the wall. You know what I'm talking about? Where you like tell the kid, hey, don't touch the oven, it's hot. And then you like pretend to walk out the room and then you do one of these around the corner. And you watch their little brains process things. They walk up to that oven and they look around. And they reach their little hand out. And then they, oh. And you're in the background just going, don't do it. You can do it. Please. <laughs> right? And then they grab the oven door. Oh, they haven't hurt themselves yet. Just grab the oven door. And you just, one of those, are hey, you touching the oven? No. Right? Or some of them, they're little enough, they're just like, <laughs> start running away. <laughs> But as they get a little older, talk about lying. Talk about gossip. Talk about speaking with respect. To even adults they don't know. This is where manners comes in, guys. Manners is a choice that someone else has value, whether I've seen it yet or not. That's what values teaches. Manners teach that. It, it just it reveals that if I'm interacting with someone else I don't know yet, I will give them the respect that they're due as a human being. Manners will reveal that quicker than anything. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You open the door for somebody, all of a sudden they're like, wow, they think I'm somebody. But when they make a mistake, when they touch the oven, they go too far, when they lie, when they're caught, what do we do? How do we push the limits? Because we need to put them in situations where they can make mistakes. That needs to be an option. They have to have the choice. You can't come running into there and back them off, draw a line on the floor and say, don't you get close to this oven. They'll never make the choice. But what if they do? That's what we're going to do. We're going to seek understanding. And with consequences not being removed. We're going to seek understanding and we'll do the consequences without removing guilt. Now, here's what's so cool. Consequences are the consequence of the choice. That is not you as the parent. This is so important to understand. 
This is you teaching your kid that gravity exists no matter how bad mom and dad love you. This is what you're teaching your kid when you teach them consequences of their mistakes. No matter how bad mom and dad love you, you make a poor choice, you make a mistake, there is a consequence. How many of us need to be reminded of that sometimes? We think we're outside the rules. Your boss will not care if you think, I just slept through my room, I just didn't know. It don't matter. Three strikes, you out. That's the consequence. You put the whites with pinks, everything's going to be pink. The thought process of this, though, is we naturally want the consequence, but we want to remove the guilt. And that's why that's there. Remove the guilt. Remove the shame. There's a difference. Guilt is, I did something wrong. Shame is, I am broken. I am wrong. Remove that. They are loved. They are whole. They are yours. They will always be. But let the guilt remain. They need to feel the consequence. The consequence is what led us to the cross. Shame is what is destroyed on the cross. Let your kids make mistakes. Encourage them. Understanding is key. Why did you do it? What was happening? It's key. Don't remove the consequence. Don't remove the guilt. Destroy the shame. The second one. It's going to seem similar. Let kids fail. Now here's why this is up here and it's different. Mistake is a moral choice. Fail is a challenge they weren't up to yet. There's a difference. This is the shovel. Right? Why don't you go try to pick that shovel up with them rocks in it? I can't do it. I'm not big enough yet. I'm not strong enough yet. I haven't figured it out. And they aren't strong enough. They aren't big enough. If we remove any chance of them to fail, they will literally think they're Superman. And some of you experience that with some kids. They will come up and they're like, I'm the smartest kid that's ever lived. And you're like, who told you that? Because <laughs> they're a liar. <laughs> okay, how much your mom loves you? You still fall out of that plane. I drop you. She's lying to you. But what else do they learn? They're given a chance to fail. They won't fail every time. They won't fail every time. The 70th time, they'll walk. They'll walk. They'll fall down, fall down, fall down, and then all of a sudden they'll just go, what in the world are these things doing? They're working. There it is. And we're going to do that by evaluating and encouraging without numbing the pain. That is so incredibly important. Did you know if you caught them every time they fell, they'd never know what it feels like to fall, and so then when you're not there to catch them, they'll feel like it is the most devastating experience of their life? Think about this. With a 5-year-old, if they never learned what it's fall, and then as a 17-year-old, that girl breaks his heart and he's never had pain before. Mama's not there to catch him. Wasn't quite up to snuff. All of a sudden, that pain, he's never experienced. I've never fallen before. This hurts. Learning observing. I watched my five-year-old. I don't know why I'm a kid in my story about my five-year-old. That's a good story. Well, that's a good point. I would think about that. He hit his shin for the first time this last week. You, ever, you remember that first time you hit your shin? 
He hit it on concrete stairs and then drug it. Now, this kid's broken an arm before, so he knows what it feels like to broke it. He done thought he shattered his leg. Hit it, drug it, and I mean, he just comes like a zombie across the yard. <laughs> and I'm looking at him like, did you get shot? Like, what happened? You know, and, and he comes over, and I'm looking at him, and he starts explaining what happened, and I'm like, oh, you hit your shin. Yeah, that hurts. And he looked at me like, what? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, this bone right here, you hit that, you're going to feel it. <laughs> and his eyes just got huge, you know, like, is this how it's going to be? I'm like, no, no, no. It'll go away in a little bit. It'll feel better. And then a couple minutes later, he did the, did the kid thing, you know, flying over. <laughs> Dad, it feels better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're okay. <laughs> but how many of us, how many of us, this is something that we don't even now in our lives let ourselves fail and feel the pain. Well, we start to feel the pain and it feels like we're a failure. Like, no, 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 that's the cost of failing, not that you are a failure. That's shame again. You're not a failure if you fail. That means you tried. I'm telling you, your greatest regrets will not be trying. It will be not trying. Teach your kids that. It's okay to fail. Put them in situations where they fail. My mom let me try out for sixth grade AAU basketball without ever playing basketball outside of our little rec league. I know she knew I was going to fail. I couldn't even dribble with my left hand. And those kids are dribbling around me like circles. I remember leaving. They're like, good try. <laughs> you know, I'm walking out to my mom like, I'm not the best. You told me I'm the best. <laughs> you know what I did? I'm Michael Jordan up. Left-hand layups all day. Left -hand. I made the team. I rode the bench next year, but I made the team. I want to feel that pain no more. Last one of these three. Don't remove hard things. Don't remove hard things. Now, I want to show you a picture of something. This is so cool. This is a playground equipment from the 1920s. Let's just look at that one for a moment. I'm just going to walk over here. Does that feel about right? I feel like that's about how high that actually is. I just want you to imagine you as a mother just doing this. What are you doing? You know why we had this? That's why we won World War II. Straight up! Greatest generation, yeah, because the only ones that left were the ones that lived! <laughs> Seventy-fifth anniversary of D-Day was this last week. That's these boys. That's these boys. If we remove hard things, we're doing a disservice. We're doing a disservice. You know when we put the monkey bars in over here? I was talking to Beth. Our daycare director, we put the monkey bars in here. You know, not they had like one kid out of the whole daycare that could do them. One kid. All these kids are looking at those like, what are these things? Two foot off the ground. 
You know what my son's trying to do right now? Going across them without help. Because we got that stinking playground out there. And in his mind, that's the challenge he wants to be able to do. Every playground we go to, he's like, where'd the monkey bars? I gotta try. We instinctively think that failure and hard things are gonna just zap our children. But that's the very cutting board. That's the very whetstone that sharpens their tools. That's the very thing that gives them the resilience and the integrity. That's the very thing that hardens them to actually be successful in life. We cannot remove hard things. We can't do it. Comfort and motivate without removing the struggle. My kid falls off the monkey. I'm like, oh man, that was... That was terrible. You were close, though. You got three this time. Why don't you try it again? You might give them a little bit of help. You might get in there and give them a little bit of a nudge. But don't remove hard things. Put them in situations where difficult things are there. Watch them learn. Watch them grow. Watch them grow up right before your eyes. You ever taught a kid how to ride a bike? I mean, it is the most intense and frustrating thing in your life. I mean, I'm not going to die. I was sweating way more than I thought I was going to be by the end of it. But you watch their little brains decide whether or not they're capable. Tell me who doesn't want a 16-year-old or a 26-year-old to do the same thing, or a 45 or a 65-year-old facing down a new problem to do the same thing. And this is where we lay the foundation that they're capable they can do it. They can do hard things. You'll have to keep doing hard things. My dad's famous saying, I think I've told it to you before, life is hard and then you die. He said it to me all the time. I always thought, that is such a downer. <laughs> but it's true. Life is hard and then you die. This is not our home. It's full of hard things. There's a really cool idea that goes along with these three things that I think is really healthy for you to see. Learned industrialness. I can't even say that nerd. Industrialness. Industriousness. Industriousness. There we go. Got it. When kids are see, when kids see even small progress for their effort, they exert more effort at this stage. If they fall down 69 times an hour, but they took that like very millisecond more of balance, they feel it. They feel it. They recognize it. And then it just motivates them all the more. Man, if we could keep that going in our lives. Measurements of the smallest degree to say, keep going. We can do this. Faith journeys. At this age, this is a learned thing. It's a learned thing. You're capable. Children ultimately crave boundaries. Children ultimately crave boundaries. So as you're setting up in your home the boundaries of what your values are, what you say are is important, your manners, the things that you would say, hey, we take on challenges. Hey, we work hard. Hey, we always tell the truth. Hey, you talk to your mother with respect. You never hurt your mother. You never do anything to your mother that will ever cause her pain because I made you because I loved her first. And I can make another one. That's what I always love to end. (laughs) 
Whatever those boundaries are, the key to success in is not the boundary itself. Those boundaries sometimes will change family to family. You'll have your own identity. You'll have your own values. You'll come up with the way that you'll look in your healthy choices in your family. It's the consistency that needs to be added to it. Over time, totally doing the same thing, consistently following through. They say you have to say please and thank you 10,000 times before your kids will get it. And I believe it. I believe it. Sometimes I say please and thank you, and I'm like, that wasn't the right context. Because I'm just constantly just saying it with my kids. But what ends up happening is you get healthy routines. The default setting of your kids are we make mistakes. We will make mistakes, but we will learn and we will make better choices. We will fail, but that is only fuel to us growing. We will absolutely do hard things because that's how we get better. That's how we grow. And as you're setting those boundaries up, you'll get healthy routines that'll be the default, and they will learn how to drive purely because it's the default setting in your house. It's the natural thing that you're doing in your house. And just so, you're, just so I'm 100% clear, if you want to change any part, any part in your life that is out of control, this is how you do it, whether you're 75 or 5. You change your boundaries. You put guardrails around the things you're trying to work. You call other people into it, a community. You do it consistently, and it changes. That's not just parenting. That's all of us. And that routine changes, and you learn to drive different. Now, here's the cool thing about the word boundaries. Boundaries is actually the dividing line is where that comes from. That's the term that it kind of lows out. So this boundary is actually the dividing line if you were driving. So teaching your kid good boundaries is literally in your mind. Think of it like this. Boundaries are the dividing line. I need to teach my kids when they drive the first thing. Hey, see that line in the middle of the road? This is your lane. <laughs> you don't go in that lane. This is your lane. That's all boundaries are. It's teaching them their lane consistently. Healthy drivers. That's what we want. To wrap this up, I want to give you a verse, because here's what I know. After I was talking to this my whole myself all week, looking at my crummy little trees that I have at my house, I mean here in front of you, that I'm working on. Evidently, I'm not doing great. Daily choices sometimes, water them. I'm tempted to think that this tree should look more like this tree. You know what I'm saying? How they act, how they respond, what they do, what they're capable of. They should provide more shade. They should have deeper roots. They shouldn't be so easy and pliable. But the problem is, they're still little. And they're still learning. And I'll tell you, this age... It's exhausting to keep these little suckers alive. It's exhausting to keep them in a healthy, consistent routine. It's exhausting. You know why it's exhausting? It's not them. It's me. It's because I struggle to be consistent. It's because I struggle with selfishness. If I could see what the investment would be, 
If I, if I could just daily remind myself that it's going to go further and that it's going to be bigger in its impact, I'd be fine, but I struggle. And I don't know if you find yourself, maybe it's not in parenting this morning, but maybe you just find yourself a little hard on yourself this week. A little down. Feeling some negative impacts of your mistakes, your failures. Feeling yourself running away from some hard things. Jesus has some amazing passages that I think this morning, I want to end by just speaking over you and speaking even to my own soul. He's staring out at a group of people that are half-starving, oppressed by a foreign power, limited in their restrictions of what they're even going to be available to do in their lifetime, knowing the economic, geographical limitations of what they could do. And he's looking at them, and they're tired. They're worn out. And this is what he says to them. This is one of my favorite passages in the message version of the Bible. This is one of my favorite passages. It's Matthew chapter 11, and this is what he says to them. Just, just look at this. It's so cool. Are you tired? you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Not rules. It's not rules. It's what religion is. Come to me. Get away with me. Oh, man, I just want to escape. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Perfection will not give you the rest. Sleep will not give you the rest. There is something only God offers that is real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. I am the bread of life. I am the tree. I am the never-ending, ever-giving, flowing stream of full life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. What I have given for you is pushing your limits, but behind it is limitless love. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Every parent in this room, your kids are watching you at this age more than any other age. They aren't listening to your words as much sometimes. They're terrible listeners sometimes. My five-year-old went to the dentist this week. He thought they were going to put him to sleep. When they put his tooth to sleep, he went out screaming. I had to take him back in because I explained to him, they're just putting your tooth to sleep. Oh. <laughs> they just heard they're going to put him to sleep. He freaked out. That's all he heard. They're terrible listeners. <laughs> but listen to me. They watch so keenly. And they're not the only ones. Everyone's watching. Everybody's watching you as a parent. How you're doing. Whether you're doing it right. Whether you got it all together. Whether things today reflect the full expression of you as a parent. Don't rest in a little more sleep. Or in one perfect day. 
Don't rest in one met expectation. Rest in your Heavenly Father. Rest in the shadow of someone who is parenting you still. Who loves you still. Who is walking with you. Is working with you. And watch Him. Learn from Him. Trust in Him. And for all of us in here, we are making an impression with how we live our lives. We are making an impression with how I live our lives. And you know what our kids are going to learn more than just the failures and the mistakes that they make and the hard things that they do? I'll just end this this way by telling you, your kids, our church, our community, the world in whole will be changed by how you handle your mistakes. how you handle your failures, and whether or not you are capable of pushing into hard things. God does not call us to the sidelines. He calls us into the fray. Parenting can feel like the fray, but he's with you. People are watching us, and that's my takeaway for today. Put a mirror up to your own life. Put a mirror up to where your walk is at. Put a mirror up to how you're speaking. Are you failing often enough to call yourself growing? Are you making mistakes and learning from them? Not pushing away the guilt, but feeling the consequences? Are you doing hard things? Or have you said that was in a time long ago when I did hard things? I'm done doing hard things. Or are you looking at the hard things and saying, I don't know if I'm strong enough? We don't stop this process at 12. It continues. And people are watching. So this week, when you look yourself in the mirror, I want you to ask those questions. Am I making mistakes and learning from them? Have I given myself permission to fail? Am I doing hard things? Or am I running away from them? Because we're not growing small trees here, people. We're about full life. Full trees. I don't want anybody staying here. I want you growing. Our little ones too. Let me pray for you.